Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Brad. And I'm your host, Sarah. And welcome to our show where we talk about Star Wars. Although today we're talking about Star Wars adjacent, talking about George Lucas's one of his first feature films that he ever made, THX 1138. Very excited, very experimental, very weird, still questioning reality. Don't know what to think, Sarah. Lots of emotions, <laughs> head empty, yeah. only THX. It's a lot. It's a lot to handle with this film. Yeah, I thank you so much for turning on this episode and being here today. But will there be anything that's um, intelligent that comes out of my mouth? Not a single clue. <laughs> so stick around to find out. Yeah, we are not George Lucas experts by any stretch of the imagination, but the 50th anniversary of THX 1138 just hit last uh, month in March. So we thought it'd be fun, since we had never seen the film before, to go back and watch it, since it's now available on HBO Max. And we just wanted to really see, you know, maybe if there were some inspirations from the film that eventually made it into Star Wars, and through my own research and just watching some of the continuity of, of theme between THX and Star Wars, I think I can confidently say we wouldn't have Star Wars without THX. And oh, there's that's no pretty way. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's pretty interesting to see all the connective tissue between the two projects. And it's also just interesting to see, you know, we focus so much on George Lucas within the context of his work with Star Wars and the creation of Star Wars. But obviously, his, not, his brain is not only made up of the galaxy far, far away. So this was an interesting way to get in his brain a little bit more and understand his point of view and also just understand what interests him in the world yeah it's it's fascinating stuff and i was really excited to watch the film and now we get to talk about it so this will be a fun episode but before we get into thx sarah we were thinking maybe this week oh let's you know well let's let's try to find like a news story to talk about you know just to kind of like open up the show so like you know monday happened and we got some news i was like great that's our news for the week and then tuesday happened and we got Mm -hmm. some more news and then wednesday and then thursday Mm happened and i'm just Mm -hmm. like we we need to stop with the news. We can't push this date recording date out any farther because then we're going to just have a whole news show. But uh, this week yeah. was not short on, on news, was it? <laughs> no. And we were really, we truly were like, ah, maybe we'll get one news story for this week and <laughs> it'll just be a, like a super short news section and that'll be good because we'll just be able to like hop into the episode. No problem. Um, psych. <laughs> LOL. They... they being star wars was like you know what we can actually promote a lot of projects and announce new projects all at the same time and we're just gonna go for that this week and see how it goes and we over here at friends of the force are in a crisis we were not expecting this much news (laughs) sarah promoting two different projects at the exact same time what a concept didn't even know it was possible truly like (laughs) whoa okay so like i have this theory that like, if Lucasfilm really wanted just, like, good press all the time and, like, wanted to be trending every week, you know, you look at Marvel, you're getting a new episode of, like, WandaVision, Falcon every week, so it's always trending, like, every Friday. Lucasfilm could have stuff trending every day of the week if they wanted, you know? I was thinking, like, Ron Howard used to release behind-the-scenes photos of Solo, you know, kind of, like, piecemeal them out and just, like, get people excited. Like, they could do fun things like that, you know? Like, maybe just less secrecy. 
and more marketing your fun projects that are coming up, you know, cast reveal, like we're going to talk about, or, you know, behind the scenes photos or like releasing a fun piece of concept art for an upcoming show that like will have no context, but it just looks cool. We just got to do more stuff like that because there's so much fun stuff coming up in Star Wars and like what better way to, you know, maybe stop people from theorizing and like wondering for so long and just like putting it out there a little bit, you know, a little bit here and there and getting us all excited and having it trend on Twitter and get people like really amped for these projects. Cause like I'm really even more amped than I was for some of the things we're going to talk about. Yeah. I mean, why not give us little tidbits? Keep the people invested, keep the people active. We want to be active and invested. Like as fans, that is what we want. So I was excited to get all this news and I will admit also a little overwhelmed because it was a lot. So should we jump into the Obi-Wan Kenobi series yeah. to begin production in April? Hey, that's this April. month. That's and today. That's this month. That's, this, that's today. That's right now. Um, and they, you know, sent out this really cool graphic of the cast. Um, it obviously includes Ewan McGregor. <laughs> whoa, whoa. I know as obi-wan kenobi and we already knew about hayden christensen returning as darth vader which like oh my god oh my god <laughs> but we also got a lot of new exciting cast members announced so do you want to go through them brad and we yeah. can talk yeah, about we any gotta, standouts we got to go through all of them do you want to you want to alternate here oh okay yeah okay popcorn. you take the first one yeah all right popcorn cast you, okay we're gonna start <laughs> we're gonna start like and we're gonna go sideways okay moses ingram joel edgerton bonnie peace Kumail Nanjiani. Indira Varma. Rupert Friend. O'Shea Jackson Jr. Sung Kang. Simon Kessel. And Benny Safdie. I'm amazing. What were your thoughts to this? What were your thoughts to this? Who stood out to you? Okay, well, first off, I have to say that at least half the cast is BIPOC, which is like amazing. Like very mm-hmm. diverse cast, at least 50% of the cast. Like they really went above and beyond with some of this casting. What stood out to me was Kumail Nanjiani, who was going to be mm-hmm. in the Eternals and is now in the Star Wars franchise. So like he's having a year. He's having like quite a year. Like he's going to be filming Obi-Wan now and he's going to be in like a huge Marvel project in November. Like it is good. Joel Edgerton and Bonnie, Bonnie Peaceback as Owen and Baru, which like, I, I feel like that was a given, but to like see the official confirmation and Indira Varna, like from Game of Thrones, who is oh. Pedro Pascal's former co-star in Game of Thrones. So we're bringing over more of that cast. Mm-hmm. This is really exciting. And again, like the graphic looks awesome. I just want to, and there, uh, there's obviously a lot of other amazing people here listed, but those right away stood out to me. But we're going to talk more about some of the other cast members. But I was just like over the moon about this casting. It was just amazing. Yeah, I have to agree that Kumail Nanjiani was the immediate standout to me because um, I forget what it's called now, the, the movie that's based on his own life and with his wife. Um, oh, The Big Sick. The Big Sick. I fell in love with him in that movie and thought he was just so funny and so charming. And to see him get all this like very mainstream franchise success is, is one, interesting, but two, just really exciting. And so I'm looking forward to seeing who he plays but also i kind of hope that he's not playing a funny character i hope that he plays against type a little bit and we get something a little bit more serious from him or something that we just would not expect Mm -hmm. and then the other person that i'm really looking forward to is rupert friend because rupert friend was on homeland which is a show that 
oh. I enjoyed probably more than I should admit. Um, but he was played a really, really interesting character alongside Claire Danes in Homeland. And he brings a certain intensity to the role that he plays. And I could see him in a number of different roles. So I'll be really interested to see where he lands. I'll, I think he could be a really good Imperial type character or a good, you know, really hard, um, you know, sharp corners kind of bounty hunter or scoundrel of that sort so yeah there's a lot of possibilities there and with all of these actors i don't know all of their work but they all have something really special in their eyes and i'm just so excited to see how they all spread across this galaxy and make it better yeah a couple of other noteworthy ones o'Shea jackson jr he is the uh son of ice cube um he's also a rapper so he goes by the stage name of omg uh, and funny enough, he portrayed his dad, Ice Cube, in the movie, 2015 movie, Straight Outta Compton, which which his feature film debut, which I think is just Whoa. like playing <laughs> your dad, playing your dad in a movie is like the weirdest thing ever. But uh, he's also a USC graduate. So, you know, represent George Lucas's alma mater. And now he's in a Star Wars project. So that's pretty cool. I like this guy. I'm excited to see what he does. Also, is Benny Safdie one of the Safdie brothers directing team? You know what? Wow. So Benny Safdie is the capital T, the director of Uncut Gems. Oh, God. <laughs> All yeah. right. I didn't know how many yeah. Safdie brothers there were. I thought there were three and maybe this was the third one. But no, there, there's, there, two. there's the two and this is the, this is the one of them. Uncut Gems, okay. amazing. Oh, and then Good Time from 2017 starring Robert Pattinson, starred Robert Pattinson oh. and Ben Safdie as siblings. So he's done other notable acting work, which is fascinating because I just, you know, that's you, you hear somebody's name in a particular context, his being directing, at least for me, so to see him in an acting role is interesting. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to have to go back and watch Good Time because that's oh, yeah. one of the ones I just never ended up seeing along with Uncut Gems. I don't know why I avoid the Safdie Brothers work. I probably shouldn't. It's probably kind of interesting. <laughs> Both are on Netflix. So if you're looking to watch those, Uncut Gems is incredible. It's like one of the most just high intense, heart pounding movies I've ever watched in my life. And seeing it in a theater was just like incredible. So I'm sure Benny Safdie being involved is a good thing. Um, also noteworthy, Moses Ingram. She was just in The Queen's Gambit, which she was awesome in. But with her in particular, she posted on Instagram. She's only had like a couple posts so far. I think she's had like three posts before the announcement, which like what a way to start your Instagram presence. Just be like, I'm in Star Wars. That's cool. But her caption on her photo was, quote, I play with lightsabers, end quote. So this has gotten the wheels turning for a lot of people. Some people are saying she's playing Ahsoka, which I don't think that's the case. Although I do think Ahsoka will show up in some capacity in the form of like a flashback, just because I think that they're going to want to show Hayden, Ewan, and Ahsoka in live action together wearing their Clone Wars stuff. It won't be a big thing, but I think it will be a thing um, to be determined if they'll cast somebody besides Rosario to play a younger Ahsoka, which I would be a fan of. But uh, my theory is she is playing uh, either maybe like a Barriss Offee or um, a escaped Jedi or a Sith Inquisitor. Because if we have Darth Vader involved, if we have Ooh. that sort of enemies to lovers excellence. <laughs> <laughs> between, you want you know, the enemies to lovers excellence with the Sith Inquisitor. And Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, I kind of do. Yeah, actually. in the Obi-Wan Kenobi I show. I kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Okay. I don't know. It'll be interesting. 
but I'm assuming, I don't know, I don't know if she meant that kind of off the cuff, like I'm just in Star Wars, I play with lightsabers, you know, for fun, or if she really means that she's playing a character with lightsabers. I don't know what your thoughts are. To be determined is what my thoughts are. I, yeah. I think either one of those is plausible, because also, you know, if you were to announce that you were in a Star Wars show, why not mention lightsabers or Jedi or something, you know? So Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? We'll see. I'll be really excited to find out. Yeah. Well, once again, the shooting begins in April. Ahmed Best has said he is not in the show, although I think he is lying. And this is set 10 years <laughs> after Revenge of the Sith. Get Jar Jar Banks in there. I... Jar Jar and Obi-Wan hated each other. Well, Obi-Wan hated Jar Jar. But I think there's some there's some mending, healing that could and should happen, especially given what Ahmed's gone through. I think if they gave Jar Jar maybe some sort of thing... That'd be really cool because like that character deserves a little bit more than all the flack that he got for so long. I, w- I would love that, honestly. I-, I actually do want to see Jar Jar come back in some form or fashion. I don't know if Obi-Wan's I... the right place for it, but we'll see. Hmm. I would love to see Ahmed Best as Jedi Master Kelleran Beck in this show. That would be the funniest crossover. And they're like, oh, and he goes on to be a game show host. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, it'd be like a Batu kind of style uh, crossover. But I... I would love to see um, Ahmed Best as Ahmed Best because I think he's, he's so forgive me for the play on his name. I don't intend it that way, but he is just the best. He, he's a lovely, seems like no, a lovely person. So. Full on pun intended. That's why he's named Ahmed Best is because he is the best. <laughs> like, fair we'll, enough, just be, fair we'll, we'll just be real. There you so go. our next story is episode two of the High Republic show with Christina Ariel, which is the second episode is just as good as the first had a couple of really exciting announcements. So. We are getting our third audio drama, third audio drama called Tempest Runner, written by Kevin Scott, and it's going to follow Lorna D, who is one of the Tempest Runners, who is part of Marjan Rose, uh, you know, crew that are sort of the leaders of the Nile. And I'm really excited to get a book from the perspective, solely from the perspective of the Nile and Lorna D, especially she is so just deadly uh cunning Mm -hmm. she is just very awesome as a character she was probably one of my favorite nile that we got to meet in in light of the jedi so uh and besides that you know that there's going to be a couple more comics that close out um you know cavin and daniel's uh series coming in the summertime and um it'll be interesting to see how tempest runner comes off of cavin's book the rising storm which is next so i'm super stoked for this this comes in the fall this year so does he sleep i I am concerned about Kevin's health. <laughs> Does I mean like he he seems to be coming out with stuff all the time. Like shout out to that man and his worth work ethic and all of the great stuff that he puts into the world because Duke Jedi Lost was really exciting and and very interesting and obviously he's writing the next main chapter in the High Republic saga with The Rising Storm and getting to follow that up immediately practically with Tempest Runner. Thrilling. Great Great year for Kevin Scott. 11 out of 10. Plus his work on the comics and stuff. Yeah. So he's wow. a great asset to the Star Wars franchise. We got to get him on the show at some point. I want to talk to Kevin Scott. He'd be a fun, he'd be a fun guy to chat with. Pick his brain. He really about seems the like Jedi. a lovely guy. So yeah, um, make it, let's make it happen. <laughs> yeah. And I want to mention too, a lot of new character art. We got the Bogoranth who are like this big four, five legged creature. Oh. Uh, and it, it looks pretty intense. They look a little bit scary. And then we also got concept art for Afi Hollow and also Comac Vitus. And we're getting concept art for Silvestri Yarrow. So Sarah, Comac Vitus, uh, pretty hot. 
He's got the long hair. He's got the he's got the beard. He was not at all what I expected to look. He's even got like a curved lightsaber handle, kind of like Dooku. Uh huh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, this guy's mm-hmm. looking looking mighty fine. Uh, I'm stoked. I love yeah, this guy. Hot, even hot more now. historian. Hot historian. <laughs> sign me up no he looks completely <laughs> different than what i expected him to but like in a positive way because yeah. i expected him to be about 10 years older than this and uh because orla jereni's whole vibe is white but you know between her her fair skin and her robes and stuff i also imagine him to be a little bit more of like the old wizard type um, yeah that's what i was thinking and he's not i mean we know from the books that he is the same age or he came of age with and alongside orla so this makes a total sense and is also very interesting to my conception of him as a character. And I'm 110% here for hot historian Comac Vitos. Yeah. Thank you for I coming mean, to my TED Talk. And he's a person of color, which I don't know why. I, I don't know if I was or was supposed to pick that up on my first read through, but it seems pretty evident by the concept art. So just adding more richness and diversity to the, the High Republic era, which that seemed to be a very big thing Michael Seglane talked about on the episode was just like, we want people every type of person to see themselves in in the high republic and adding to that uh, a couple days ago was trans day of visibility so the star wars instagram also confirmed that the jedi Tarek and Sarit, who are in the high republic series from kevin scott they are trans non-binary jedi so that was really cool to see the support from from Lucasfilm and they made a whole Lucasfilm logo with the trans flag. And I just thought that was really cool to, you know, see them get their their own variant cover for the upcoming comic book and just to have that confirmation. So again, like really the High Republic is just great and we're seeing a lot of different types of people in it and I think that is why it's going to be everlasting for quite some time because you are drawing in new fans. And storytelling is a really uh, storytelling through publishing is a really easy medium to to grab people uh, and pull them in and like give them some really exciting stories that are full of rich characters. Yeah. And I do want to acknowledge as much as I am thrilled with Lucasfilm really showing up and with a statement and with a presence on Trans Day Visibility, I also hope that we continue to get more characters who are trans and non-binary who give us a really diverse representation of trans and non-binary identities. And so I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, With the strong presence that they presented us with uh, this year, I hope we continue to get more of these characters. And I'm wondering if Omega in the Bad Batch is trans or... I don't... or non-binary. I really wonder because not a single person between the trailer and this week in Star Wars has mentioned their pronouns. Yeah. I was actually thinking the same thing, so I'm excited to see what what that might entail. Cause yeah, just more more representation, you know, like the it doesn't stop here. Let's celebrate the trans community and the non-binary community every day, not just on Trans Day of Visibility. Mm-hmm. We should be supporting those communities, those podcasters, those fans, those characters every single day, because uh, otherwise it's just performative. So we just got to keep that up. And this is a really great step, though. I was very excited. I was very, uh, I think the whole community overall took very positively to it. So I was, you know, very happy to see that. Yeah. And to negative commenters, go away. Fuck you. Thank you. That's what I was, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Listen, trans rights are human rights. If you disagree, please don't listen to this podcast. I have nothing else to say to you. So yeah. Sarah. That, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> that, that about covers Monday, Tuesday. <laughs> 
We are 20 minutes into this podcast and we are through oh Monday. Okay, news. we gotta go. We gotta go quick. <laughs> <laughs> Monday uh, was was lit. Tuesday, the Bad Batch trailer came out, and boy, does that look exciting. We got V Wings. We got Omega, who looks really cool with the light bow. We got all the Bad Batch returning. Uh, you have not watched the Clone Wars. You have not had any experiences with the Bad Batch yet, but uh-huh. you're already starting to. You're thinking maybe you're a tech stan. Where are you? Well, where I, are you kind of falling right now? I mean, this is really exciting to see it all through your eyes. I watched the first episode of the Bad Batch arc from oh. season seven last night. What'd you think? I didn't have any strong opinions on it, but okay. like, I immediately am a fan of Techie. Yeah. Immediately, Wrecker. His energy is is like loud. His energy is very loud. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why I like him. And um, <laughs> and is it is it Hunter who has yeah. the the knife in his arm mm-hmm. that's kind of hot hunter is hot let's be real like he's I'm got not, the he's I, got the bandana there was a lot of thirst for i hunter. don't love the hair i don't love the look but the knife i yeah. don't know what it is it's uh, maybe it's just the motion of the how he takes it out of his like you know the hilt on his arm mm-hmm. but it's it's working for me yeah he's very inspired <laughs> um, so, by rambo i think oh yeah um, I'm very curious to see where the rest of the arc goes, guys. Don't please don't spoil me in the in, in the you know in my Twitter DMs or just in the replies to my <laughs> tweets. Um, that'd be really sad. Um, so I'm looking forward to watching that arc. Um, and also I know we are getting like hints of Echo, like oh Echo's not dead, and obviously Echo's in the Bad Batch, so we're gonna get Echo. I imagine that's part of the whole story here. But I was watching the trailer the first time I saw it vertically on my phone. So it was really, really small. But a couple next times I watched it, I watched it probably 10 times now just to kind of get a sense of it. And I'm I'm really curious as to where the show is going to go. So yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'll probably, I'll probably give it a go. Yeah. I mean, I think it's exciting because we missed the prequels and this is like coming hot off the heels of Revenge of the Sith and Order 66 from the Clone Wars. So like, it's just really cool to see like V-Wings and like to see, you know, what Tarkin's up to right after shit hit the fan. Like he's kind of taking on this leadership role, it seems like, to uh, <gasps> put together a battalion of, of uh, soldiers and the Bad Batch is clearly going against the grain. And I'm excited to see Camino is a big, you love Camino and you love the Camino. I love ends. Camino. Like, I love Camino. <laughs> you know, so, and I think that's Lama Sue played by Bob Bergen in the trailer. So like Lama Sue might be back. We'll see. We'll see. Um, you had an epiphany. Lucasfilm? I did. Lucasfilm, if you're listening, if you put a tri-fighter in this series, I will stand. Very simple request. Secondly, what if we see Panaka? That would be really interesting. I, there's some opportunity. You know, I think the show is a Trojan horse. We're gonna, I think we might I see want, all sorts I want of characters. Panaka. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm gonna whisper his name (laughs) i'm excited honestly Um, what if we see bail organa you you just never know (gasps) you just never know sarah you just never know i mean captain rex is in it i want i want a tri-fighter and i want bail organa (laughs) and then you will get this girl on board lucasfilm 100 (laughs) percent. i'll ride or die with the bad batch if you get those two things for me i'm really excited though it comes out on may the 4th with a 70 minute premiere which is like a full dang movie long it's a long movie (laughs) So, yeah, I'm very excited about that. But you can definitely tune in here at Friends of the Force to hear all of our coverage on The Bad Batch. And we'll have more announcements on that coming very soon about how we're covering the show. So uh, Mm -hmm. now going to Wednesday, 
This is not yeah. Star Wars, but it is Star Wars adjacent. Ryan Johnson's Knife's Woo-hoo! Out franchise. Netflix is in negotiations to buy the franchise and two more sequels for $400 million. A and couple of chump change. Just a little chump, chump change. change. You know, I take yeah. that out of my pocket every day when I, you know, get coffee. I'm like, yeah. oops, uh, sorry, guys. I dropped my $400 million on the ground. Sorry about that. That's so embarrassing for you. So <laughs> this is really huge because this is showing Netflix's commitment to Ryan Johnson and the idea that, you know, they've been chasing Oscar nominations. They've only won eight Oscars. I think they've had about 80 some nominations. They haven't won anything oh, wow. for Best Picture yet. So there's a Knives really hot... two for Best Picture. Knives yeah. out two for Best Picture. You know, it's real, though, because all these streaming services want that Best Picture award. And, you know, you have Amazon, you have Hulu, you have Netflix, uh, maybe eventually Disney Plus. So there's like a streaming war right now happening for big coveted awards. And I think Netflix sees Ryan Johnson as somebody who just, again, made a movie for $40 million and Knives Out that grossed $311 million. And also was nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. They see him as somebody who could potentially not only build their brand out a little more, but also win them some awards because he's a good writer and director. And so mm-hmm. this is just all around a good move for Netflix. It's a good move for Ryan Johnson. I hope we still get a limited run in theaters so I can see Knives Out 2 Please and Knives Out 3 in theaters. And Knives Out 2 begins filming on June 28th in uh, Greece, or at least production begins uh, around that time. So uh, that's very exciting uh greece though damn Uh, and daniel craig is returning for both films so sarah what were your initial reactions to this news ah right right. we're gonna get a third one too it's it's exciting Uh, you know it does in the star wars context of things it does make me wonder if we ever will get the ryan johnson trilogy i still hope so you know even though star wars does not deserve ryan johnson i selfishly want it so who knows maybe still in the future I'll probably be old and gray by then, but that's okay. The, the thing that disappointed me, you hit on it, is it's just that these are going straight to Netflix, so they'll probably have a much more limited release, if a release at all. And I hope they realize the potential of um, a theatrical release, because the times I spent seeing Knives Out in the theater were some of the most special and some of the most community-driven you know, times I've gone to the theater. Yep. The first time I saw it at the Chicago Film Festival, where I had the opportunity to meet Ryan never meet your heroes except meet ryan johnson because he's just as wonderful <laughs> and lovely in person um i mean like truly and i saw it on a huge screen with a huge theater and i was sitting in the very front row with a terrible angle at the screen but i had a blast and was with a bunch of my Raylo friends hey chicago Raylos, love you bunches um and i had so much fun and then i brought my grandma to it i listened to the in-theater commentary i brought my family to it and every single time was just such a joyous adventure and so it is a film or the, the sequels are, are films I would love to see in the theater and, and hope I will be able to. I'm really, really hoping, but I'm so excited that production is starting so soon on the second one. I've seen a couple of theories, or well, not theories, but like hopes thrown around. Like, I hope Benoit Blanc gets a different accent each movie and it's just not explained. I would love that. Or I would <laughs> love so if the great. cast, yeah, I would love if the, the whole cast from the first movie comes back and they're playing completely different characters. I would love that too. It's not going to happen, but imagine if it did that'd be so funny but i i mean i hope we get a really exciting cast um i ultimately hope it more includes more star wars alum like kelly marie tran adam driver yeah i would love Donald daisy ridley Leeson. too i mean she's been in murder on the orient express so it wouldn't be her first whodunit yeah so let's let's make it happen i'm so John excited Boyega too yeah and I'm, i mean yeah. the fact that we're getting it in the summer means that it's probably gonna come out early well 
early next year to late next year, depending on whether whether they want to hit or want to be insane. It could come out, you know, in this winter if they want to go really fast on post-production, which they probably don't. But, um, you know, to run for Oscars or to just be a big streamer for them. I'm excited either way. I mean, that means like Ryan's almost done writing Knives Out too, if not already. So that's that's the crazy mm-hmm. thing for, to me is he's like basically written the whole thing in quarantine, which I mean, Shakespeare wrote many of his plays uh, in quarantine. I think I heard that somewhere. Ryan on Johnson the is Shakespeare reincarnated. <laughs> that's what we. That's what we're getting to in this. Podcast. I think. I think he like. I think Shakespeare did something during a plague or something. I that, I don't know I think history. You're right. I think you're it right. Sounds about right. I'll just. I just yeah. made it up. I just make up history. It's fine. But yeah. yeah, I'm very excited about this and uh, we'll see what happens. And I think the Ryan Johnson trilogy will happen. Although we did get a Ryan Johnson trilogy with Hell Knives Out. It was, yeah. It was boys. funny. It was funny because t- Monday's news happened and then Tuesday's news happened with the Bad Batch. And I tweeted, what are you going to do tomorrow, Lucasfilm? Give us a Ryan Johnson trilogy. And then this news came out the next day and I was like, <laughs> I, I guess I, I'm somewhat predicting the future in a, in a, from a certain point of view. So that was, uh, that was really weird how that worked. I... I hope that we continue to get Benoit Blanc mysteries just, just throughout the years. Just like, <laughs> um, uh, I know they did like, they, by they, I mean, Luca Guadagnino was talking about like, oh, I want to do a Call Me By Your Name sequel in like 10, 15 years as the actors have aged up. Obviously that might not happen anymore because uh, Army Hammer. Um, but <laughs> I hope that we continue to get Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc movies. Uh, just, as he gets older, maybe once a decade, that would be so ridiculous and so fun. And, and very similar to the Agatha Christie um, Perot mysteries that she did throughout her career. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of where we're going with this franchise. And I wouldn't even be surprised if at some point it goes into a TV show. Like I wouldn't, you know, like a limited series on Netflix. Who It'd be really cool. It'd be really cool. There's a lot of possibilities. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm always like hit or miss on things when it's like, oh, don't make a sequel. It was so good the first time. But I think if you handle it right and you get it with a good director and a good writer, it can really work. And you kind of yeah. you know have that magic in a bottle and you just want to capture that feeling again for people. And um, that's exciting. So we shall see. Mm-hmm. So, Sarah, do you want to talk about our last bit of news with two new releases that are coming out this year? Because as if we don't have enough books to read currently on our yeah. schedule. So no. what, are, what are two more books? Why not? Why so not I us? clicked on the... I clicked on This Week in Star Wars this week, and I was like, oh, yeah, we're just going to go over the news of this week. And then Kristen Baber was like, JK, LOL, more news for you? Let's do it. And she's like, this is not an April Fool's joke. And I was like, oh, great. And so we're getting The Odyssey of Star Wars, an epic poem, released on September 28th, and that is by Jack Mitchell. And then we are getting the third book in the Thrawn Ascendancy trilogy called Lesser Evil, November 18th of this year, to which I have a lot of questions about. I immediately thought, oh, this is probably filling the kind of timing slot that the Mandalorian novel was going to fill last year and then this year. And then since that got scrapped, maybe this makes sense for it. It's also 30 years of Thrawn, but this cover is incredible. We've got um, the end. It's so weird right now because we have the advanced copy of Greater Good right now. And to think that there's another Thrawn book coming this year, I literally voice messaged Brad and was like, oh no, we got to redo our whole schedule. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really exciting. Um, and also means that 
I don't have to read Thrawn after this, which is a blessing, perhaps, for my brain, because Thrawn yeah. is complicated, even though I really did like the first book in this trilogy, and I'm looking forward to Greater Good. No, it's definitely a task to read these Thrawn books because they're so detailed, but in a great way that's, that builds out the Chiss ascendancy. And uh, this third book, this release from StarWars.com, talks about how the Chiss are, are no strangers to war, and they're kind of dipping in to uh, civil war almost because there is just so much trust and loyalty that's being eroded by this new foe in the galaxy so you know Thrawn's going to kind of come to a crossroads to figure out you know is he willing to sacrifice his home sacrifice his you know the only home he's ever known for everything and, and to make it work so I'm excited to see where this goes and you know we, we mentioned these two books as well um, the Odyssey of Star Wars really seems cool you know kind of telling the story of the Skywalker saga and even like Rogue One, uh, it's including all of Star Wars as if it were told 300, uh, 3000 years ago, you know, as its own myth, as its own poetry. And, uh, and the author Jack Mitchell talks about how, you know, Star Wars is kind of like our own modern myth. So I'm excited to see how that's presented. But Sarah, we got all this news too. There is also one other book. I'm sorry to tell you, the, there is one more. And it's called Star Wars Visions Ronin, an original novel. Oh, also did we coming not talk out about October. that? We haven't. There's been so much happening in the news. Wow. It's just, it's just been very... Yeah. It's, isn't that sad? Yeah, okay, we go ahead. Almost. <laughs> well, well, we didn't record last week. Right, and, yeah. And, we, and you did the WandaVision episode, so that was something a little bit different. So, yes, um, yeah. Ronin. Oct- October 12th. Uh, it's an original novel inspired by the new animated tale called Star Wars Ronin, written by Emma... Candon, so a new Star Wars author, very exciting stuff. I'm I'm excited I, for the show. Amazing, yeah, yeah. I'm really really excited about Visions. When it was announced as one of the projects that was um, revealed at the Disney Investor Day big whole presentation thing, um, that was one of the ones I was most excited about. And to know that we're getting tie-in content from the animated show is really exciting. I'm really excited to have a new woman writing Star Wars. I'm excited for what this is going to give us, something completely original, something new. And the fact that it's going to come out in October, that we have a new Thrawn release in November. Brad, we thought we weren't going to be busy this fall. Yeah, we got a lot of books. What's, what's, what, what could go wrong? What but, could go wrong? You know, me, I'm being, really... me finishing the book 10 minutes before recording. <laughs> you know, I'm very excited, though, because the idea of like the Ronin, you know, the wandering man, the the person who doesn't necessarily belong to any one place who's, you know, often been mm-hmm. often been depicted in a lot of uh, Kurosawa films, which we know are a lot of the heavy inspiration for Star Wars. So I don't really think we've ever seen the u- the use of the term Ronin in the Star Wars galaxy. So it's actually really cool to see that be the title of the book and to see, you know, what does this mean, especially from somebody who's li- written a lot of anime characters in the past and uh, i'm very excited to to see that so uh i'm very excited sarah we got a lot of books we're not going to be short on reading this fall and uh as the as the cold weather gets here we'll be sitting inside next to our fireplace reading a good old book or two or three or four or 10 or 15 so we'll see and you can stay tuned to friends of the forest because we're going to have all those book reviews coming up very very soon so thank you to everybody who listens to those we appreciate it we really do, and they're really fun to make, and we love reading, and we're really glad that we, we've got listeners who also love to read. Yeah. Book bunch of nerds over. We're a bunch, bunch of, book of nerds. nerds over here. We're good. We're good. <laughs> so that pretty much wraps up our news segment. We didn't go too much over what I thought we would, but I'm now really excited to talk about THX 1138. So, Sarah, without further ado, let's get started. THX 
1138. Two of the new generation of film men, Francis Coppola and George Lucas, are discussing director Lucas' new movie, THX 1138. In particular, they touch on the demands a production can make on those involved. George, where did the very first idea of sex come to you? It uh, actually came from reading comic books when I was about 10 years old. And I was always struck with the fact that we were living in the future. If you were to make a film about the future, the way to do it would be to use real things, because we are living in the future. Everything is removed from reality. Everything is like third hand in the society. Everything is via television or via intercom. You know, no communication between people and distance and all the electrical. It's a contemporary story. It's about today. And therefore, I want to make it out of existing things so that everything there is real, only altered slightly in order to give it a kind of alien look. So THX 1138, directed by George Lucas and written by both George Lucas and Walter Merck, came out in 1971, long, long time ago, about six years before Star Wars A New Hope was in the theaters. So it was one of George's early inspirations of, of what would eventually become Star Wars. And Sarah, I just want to hear your initial impressions. Like, I think we can start there, kind of talk about what we thought about the movie originally go through some of the history and kind of how it all ties into George eventually making Star Wars, which I think is a really fascinating story. And then maybe just talk a little bit about the themes and what we pulled from the movie, what George was trying to say at this point in his life. And again, we're not George Lucas experts. We're really just taking the story that we watched on screen for the first time. And you're going to witness Sarah and I try to break this thing apart and figure it out because we are George Lucas novices. We are we are just here for fun. We're here for a, a fun time. And uh, yeah, Sarah, what do you think about THX? Yeah, I will say it's important to preface that uh, I was not alive in 1971. Um, and I do not fully understand the sociopolitical on the ground day to day of living in the 19, late 60s, early 70s. Very complicated kind of time. I wasn't there for it. So obviously we're coming at this movie from our very 2021 perspectives, from our young adult in the 2020 perspectives. Um, you know, so we bring a different perspective to it than somebody who maybe was around when, uh, you know, saw Star Wars, the original Star Wars in 77 in the theaters and that sort of stuff. So just prefacing that as well, um, this movie was a bit of a mystery to me. I do enjoy science fiction. I really love the genre. But this was odd. It was really odd. And I really appreciated some of the stylistic choices that were made in this film. Um, also, we're talking about all the spoilers. So if you haven't seen the film and don't want to be spoiled for it, go give it a watch. It's on HBO Max right now. If you are fine with being spoiled, you know, join the ride. We'd love to have this conversation with you, with you in your ears. So I think the interesting thing for me off the bat was the stylistic choices of them all wearing white, this industrial very concrete um, world that they lived in and the presence of the bald heads on everybody. There was a sameness to everybody within this, within this society that made everything a bit off and a bit eerie because the premise is that there's no individualism because perhaps individualism is what leads to, um, sexual desire and reproduction which is what's outlawed in this world i don't know this is it's it was a 
fascinating film to watch, but I was also just a bit baffled. Yeah, it's not very, not very straightforward in in a, in a sense. Yeah, you kind of hit on some of the plot of of THX, and maybe for some of you who might not go watch the film and do want to know, like, kind of generally what it is about. But yes, like you said, it's this sort of weird Orwellian future where it follows the story of THX one one three eight and all of these citizens who who take a daily drug, and that's to sort of suppress emotion and make them almost desensitized and and they sit through these different holograms throughout the day that are very uh graphic both uh in in, in violence and and uh sexualization it's very strange it's very strange it's basically just a film about uh almost a dystopian future without individualism like you said it's almost this one sameness this it's it's fascinating stuff and i don't know necessarily how george was sort of approaching the film but it's very experimental and the idea of the film is that thx 1138 who is the man and his 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 mate is this woman named luh 3417 they are they are mates and they start to rebel against this very like rigid controlled society and so Mm. we kind of go on this journey with thx to get his freedom to earn his freedom from this society and then like how does he get there who's trying to stop him on his way to that freedom and then like what does the freedom finally mean which you know spoiler alert again the final shot of the film is him crawling out of this this whole this very epic music playing this very orchestral music playing and we see thx standing up top above the city with the sun setting in the background so it's almost very reminiscent of like indiana jones like you know when they're digging at the site and the sun's in the background and you get the sunset in star wars like with the binary sunset so Mm. you know george lucas definitely loves that sun imagery for sure but yeah yeah, the film is very experimental it's very unnerving like you said it's very uncomfortable to watch like it's not you you don't watch this film for a good time necessarily you kind of watch it to (laughs) no to 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 sort of that itch in the back of your brain of wanting to know like what some of lucas's early work was like and this has often been described as not necessarily the Buck Rogers of the future, which is like what Star Wars is and, you know, Buck Rogers being the thing that inspired Lucas to make Star Wars. But this is really the Buck Rogers of the 20th century, like the thing that mm. is now that is present, that is current day, that is very contemporary. But it's it's contemporary, but it also has a very, very weird alien look, which, you know, that's kind of what sets it apart. It's It's something that seems familiar to us. And um, it still has a lot of the elements that make Star Wars what it is as well. So it's there's a lot that goes into this film. It's it's very it's very interesting. It is both familiar and alien at the same time. And you were kind of bringing up uh, indie and some of the things that you thought about when you thought about that in shot. But for me, I, I think about the sort of stories that are dystopic, uh, post-apocalyptic. Um, and now I'm going to really show my age here, but stories like where they're living underground, District 13 in the Hunger Games series. City of Ember. City of Ember. (laughs) There we go. I was just thinking Um, that. uh, Yeah, the City of Ember where, you know, their whole society is underground, um, very industrial, very uh, regimented, um, existing in a different kind of universe because of the space they inhibit, like, uh, or that they inhabit versus the freedom of the world above and while they kind of resort to district 13 and hunger games the whole city of ember thing right is that the city is dying and they need to get out of the city of ember 
um, if I recall correctly. Yeah, and they, they so, lack um, electricity, and there's a, I think yes, there's electricity. Yeah, it's like a it's like a scarce resource that is only is very unevenly distributed, if I remember, something like that. Yeah, yeah and so for so for this movie, it's it's in that same vein, very regimented. Um, the it's very top top down in terms of the control who has the who has the ability to make choices about their own days and their own um, lives. And it's clearly not the individuals like THX or LUH. I mean, they don't even have names. They have identification numbers, essentially. They have license plates. Um, yeah. Uh, so it, it's a really interesting setting that it places us into. But we do still see the familiar elements of the society, like um, cars, like people going to work, like uh, living in an apartment, um, having a roommate or somebody like a significant other. And then those moments of real intimacy within the movie are, you know, probably the thing that we can connect most to in our lives. And it's very interesting, you know, even if we don't have a loved one or like a significant other right now, connection and connection as people, humans are social beings, is a key facet of our existence. You know, you need um, water and shelter and food and you also need human connection. And so to see in a society where they don't have that, those moments of true intimacy between THX and LUH are um, really identifiable, even if you can see that it's a little bit awkward for them in the sense that they're really discovering that in a primal way from themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk more about those themes too, because I think there is something really there about the idea of human intis- intimacy and kind of how George Lucas saw the future at that time and like what it would mean for human connection and and just some of the the behind the scenes that I was watching. But really, too, this movie really stands out to me in terms of the sound editing, the sound mm-hmm. mixing, some of the uh, some of the sounds you can kind of you hear them and go, wow, that's from Star Wars. So I think there's a little bit of overlap there. Some of the shot choices, like in the beginning, there's a close up of the back office people in the society, like pressing buttons. And it looked very much like when they're pressing the buttons to launch the Death Star laser on Alderaan. So there's a little bit of stylistic choice there that Lucas very much like, you know, he has a sense for these things and it carries over throughout his different projects. But I just thought it was interesting to see like, you know, what really did influence Star Wars later on. And Mm -hmm. it's just fun to go back to his early work and see like, where did it begin? And we take Star Wars for granted. And, you know, the fact that we have it, we consume it, we watch it, we talk about it all the time. But it's just like, you think of where would we be without Star Wars in our lives? Like, what is responsible for Star Wars? And THX is a huge part of yeah. that formula because, you know, I think I think uh, it's it's fun to pay respects to the things that made Star Wars possible and to go back and enjoy them and to watch them and to just talk about them. And, uh, you know, George Lucas worked his butt off to make this film. It didn't get great reception either from audiences or executives at Warner Brothers, but it was his film that he made. It was his artistic vision. And that's kind of who George Lucas is, is he wants to present what he wants to present. And artist integrity is very important to him, which is why we get the special editions. That's why we get digital editions to this film, you know, in 2004, like you said. And, you know, he really wants the film to be what it is in his mind. And I, I think that's very, like, inspirational for, for Lucas as, a, as, a, as an artist. Yeah, I, I think that... Um... Roger Ebert, I'm looking at Roger Ebert here, and he actually provided a, a positive review of the film and, and ultimately closed with THX 
1138 suffers somewhat from its simple storyline, sure, uh, but as a work of visual imagination, it's special and as haunting as parts of 2001 A Space Odyssey, Silent Running, and The Andromeda Strain. So that, that comparison to 2001 is a pretty uh, notable one because obviously 2001 is a movie that has really stuck in the imagination of, of society. People still haunt, seek out that movie. Um, I know that's one of the films that um, you can play with, uh, I believe, with the orchestra behind it. People are doing, still doing um, special screenings of it. Uh, so that sort of stuff is, is interesting um, and, and where we hold these films kind of together. Well, Sarah, let's jump back a little bit. You know, we talk about George Lucas as a visionary, and I think that's really where he got his start uh, and his career because, you know, he went to USC and mm-hmm. a lot of people were talking about George Lucas. Like, who's this who's this kid that's making all these like, you know, very weird off-putting films that are, are very uh, experimental, like we're saying. And so we'll kind of go through the history of how it all started. And this is right out of the making of Star Wars by J.W. Rinsler. There's a lot of this information as well in How Star Wars Conquered the Universe by Chris Taylor. So those are two great reference books that if you're wanting to learn more about THX and George and and how all that began, great place to start because it is really fascinating. But THX actually began as a student film in 1967. So this was a student film that won George an award at the National Student Film Festival, which is kind of where he, uh, I I think, got a little bit of, of fame to his name. But he originally wanted to go into more like avant-garde documentary filmmaking and animation. And we both watched his original student film. It's about 15 minutes. You can find it on YouTube and we'll post it in the description of this episode if you're curious. But I thought that was really interesting because I think the student film was kind of just a condensed version of the actual movie THX. Yeah. Because the student film is called THX 11384EB. And the the 4EB is like the added, I think, prototype and unit of the person in addition to the 1138 well i was watching the the one of the documentary making making of and somebody i think it was it might have been walter merch or walter merck who said it was perhaps earthborn oh okay yeah yeah but also he like condensing the name makes sense for a feature yeah yeah but this student film like almost has no di- i don't think it has any dialogue it is all sound it is all and we know george lucas yeah. you know a lot of star wars a lot of it is just sound you know like the sound of blaster firing and the sound of lightsabers and the sound of x-wings like george lucas loves his sound and sound mixing and so thx the student film was very much just like 15 minutes of hectic crazy sound where you don't know what's happening but you're still picking up the general gist of the story which is there's this very you know this man that's suppressed and wants to escape and eventually he does escape into freedom but what did Mm -hmm. you what were your impressions of the student film versus thx 1138 the full feature length i thought that that was a little bit more difficult to get through because it is if you think thx 1138 is experimental which i i do um the the student film is 10 times more because it's (laughs) It feels non-linear in a sense without the dialogue, um, but it's interesting though. And there's a really clear, a clear line of how you go from A to B, and how A, the student film, gets expanded, tightened, and reworked into a feature full-length story. And what I thought was interesting too is at the end of the the student film which I noted compared to the feature film, there's this line at the end when like the, you know, authority is speaking to its citizens and it, it talks, it says like, uh, you know, THX 
1138 has destroyed himself today. It's an unfortunate loss, but we will continue to prosper. And like that's being said over the images of him running away, like into the into the sunny sky and like the sun setting sky. And but he's like free while this while they're saying he destroyed himself. Mm-hmm. Did you pick that up? Because I thought that was kind of interesting how like how controlled the society really is. Like it doesn't even want its citizens to know there is a chance at freedom. Like yeah. THX one one three eight was lucky enough to, you know, go beyond his fear of like never wanting to leave and just wanting to keep taking the drug every day and just be you know a citizen that was consuming and producing and that sort of thing. But like he escaped to freedom and the society can't risk more free thinkers like THX one one three eight because then it it all kind of crumbles. So I just thought that was a really stark comparison between you know the audio and then the visuals that were happening on screen. Yeah, I think that's um. It's it's clear that they the you know the the company the hierarchy in the society just won't allow for dissent and will cover up the dissent and and to suggest that the worst has happened, um, in order to hide the truth, or to continue to hide the truth. Yeah, it's it's fascinating stuff. Lucas is working with uh, Francis Ford Coppola on the Rain People, and this is where Coppola tells him he'll help him make. THX one one three eight. He's working as a production assistant for uh, Coppola at the time. So they 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 create American Zoetrope, and uh, that's still a company to this day. Actually, it's it's owned by his his kids, Roman and Sophia, which I thought was interesting. But the first draft of THX sucked like really bad, <laughs> and that's why that's why Walter Murch came in to, to do a lot of revisions because we know George Lucas like hates writing. And you know, on our Revenge of the Sith episode, we talked about how like you know he would keep writing revenge of the sith and rick mccollum would be like hey have you finished he's like no i haven't even started yet and he's like what are you doing you need to you need to get up and and write <laughs> <laughs> so i'm i'm glad you know george lucas's habits haven't changed uh, in, in the years since but the uh, movie went on to be screened to many of the executives who bankrolled the film at seven hundred seventy seven thousand seven hundred seventy seven dollars and seventy seven cents which seems absurd it's coppola's lucky number i guess hey, i he needed those 77 cents. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you never know what those 77 cents could get you, Sarah. I mean, back in the day, inflation mm, mm, mm. could get you a lot back mm-hmm, then. Mm-hmm. But the studio execs were like genuinely confused by this film. They didn't know like what the hell was going on. They were like, what did we just watch? This is ridiculous. What and did we just they- give money to? Right, because they didn't really know what they were giving money to originally. It's just like Coppola went into the meeting originally and was like, here's our vision, this is what we want to do. And he kind of smooth-talked his way into getting the film made. And they ended up cutting five minutes from the film, which we know Lucas, as a visionary, wants his full film the way he wants it. So that kind of put a bad taste in his mouth for Hollywood. Kind of led to many of the future films that we we had. You know, like it's the reason Star Wars happened under the under the the uh company of lucasfilm like an independently run company not i mean it was you know in conjunction with 20th century fox but it was his own studio that he was making these films in and i think it kind of starts here his distaste for hollywood among many other things the film being exciting is something that's just a personal thing for me i mean whether it's that way for everybody it's extremely hard work and uh it's not very glamorous and uh uh, it ultimately is simply a way of expressing ideas. Um, I am uh, more of a, a visual person than a verbal person. Um, I like images, um, and uh, 
uh, I happen to have a real talent about putting images and sounds and music and, and telling stories through that medium. And, and partially for me, I think the excitement is the fact that I found a way of telling the stories I want to tell in a medium that I could um, master. Uh, I think if I'd have gone to try to do any other thing, it would have been much more difficult for me because I don't think I, uh, I mean, I write screenplays, I don't think I'm a very good writer. Uh, and um, uh, as I'm very interested in studying cultures and social issues, but as an academic, I don't think I would have been too successful. So in terms of the path to Star Wars, I think that's kind of interesting because when we talk about how THX ended up leading George to Star Wars, I think the biggest thing is the people that he met. So, you know, he mm -hmm. met producer Gary Kurtz through THX because Kurtz went and visited the set one day because Lucas was filming in, in Technoscope, which is this old, cheap, grainy, uh, sort of widescreen format for filming. He meets uh, David Picker, who is the president of United Artists in New York City when mm. he goes to the uh, Cannes Film Festival in 1971. So on his way to Italy, he stops in New York City and stays with Francis Ford Coppola. And it's funny, the morning they go to the airport, is when Sophia's born, born. So uh, it's also George Lucas's birthday, which I think is a fun fact. So they're the same birthday. Yeah, and we should we should say like award winning director Sophia Coppola. You know, like yes. uh, um, yeah, who who is who is notable <laughs> in her own right. But also we should say Francis Ford Coppola, director it's of like The Godfather. <laughs> yeah. You know, like these are, and you also talk about his relationship with Steven Spielberg. I think we often so often isolate. George Lucas to his work in Star Wars and kind of single him into his own bubble as a person. But he really did come of age among these other great filmmakers that we so highly revere today. And right. and it's um and it's not that he's not a part of that class, but because Star Wars is, is somewhat different from something like the Godfather trilogy or many of the films that Spielberg has made. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, I feel like he's kind of isolated from them in a sense. And I think it's important to remember he is among all of these people. Yeah. And has relationships with them. Like he's hanging out in Francis Ford Coppola's apartment in New York City. Like Cash. on his way, like super casual. But this is where I think it's really interesting is like George Lucas's career to Star Wars seems much like a, one butterfly effect after the other because the only reason Coppola is there in New York is he is filming The Godfather. He's working on The Godfather in New York City. And the reason for that is because he is paying off the Warner Brothers debt because when Warner Brothers gave them the funding to make THX1138 and because of how bad it was in the studio executive's eyes, they made Coppola pay back almost $300,000 because they're like, you're not making any more films. We, we can't have you make more films like this. So he's in New York City to do The Godfather to help pay off that debt. And because it's on the way to Italy, George stops there and he meets with David Picker. And David Picker is the one who eventually is the one who gets his foot in the door for American Graffiti. And then American Graffiti leads to Star Wars. So there's like this, this domino effect that sort of happens. Mm -hmm. And it's just incredible to see kind of how one thing leads to the next, you know? And on THX, you have writers Matthew Robbins, who was Robert Duvall's stunt double uh, for THX 1138, the character. 
and Hal Barwood. Um, they met Lucas at USC and they connected Lucas with a bunch of uh, lawyers who helped negotiate contracts and merchandising. And this became pretty much the sole reason Lucas got to Star Wars. So when I think of THX, it is really a story of kind of the right place at the right time for Lucas and getting to meet the people that he needed to meet in order to make the film happen. But like, it, is it just like kind of mind boggling to you to like think of all this in hindsight and the fact that, you know, if one single thing fell through, you know, if one, one canceled flight, one, whatever, you know, alarm clock doesn't go off in the morning. Like it's just crazy how the dominoes fall in the right places for some of these early filmmakers to get to where they need to get to. And then to make something that has now stood the test of time, like, 40 years later it's just kind of crazy for me to think about i mean i think we we ought to be thinking about that more in our own lives and in the lives of the successful people we we know and look up to because um you know not everybody has a very linear path it's a it's very windy for a lot of people it requires Mm -hmm. chance or knowing somebody like like if i got to that bar 20 minutes later we probably wouldn't met yeah that's true. You know, like, like it's just because you those... were there when I walked in. We were at a bar in celebration, getting food before a uh, show. Yeah, down. they had really good pretzel bites there. For those who don't there. know the story, like pretzel yeah. sticks. Delicious. I think I had the chicken burrito wrap. It was pretty good. Huh. Um, but, but yeah, like, like but if you're know, like... not there, we never meet and we never do this podcast. Yeah. You know, right? if and... I miss the train or the taxi or whatever. So it's it's those little things in in our lives in our journeys that make all of the difference down the road. And so it's kind of incredible to see this happening, whether it be in my own life, whether it be my parents' lives, whether it be in, you know, my heroes' lives or people I idolize or look up to. It's incredible to see how just the littlest of choices make the biggest of difference. Yeah, it's it's really incredible. And, you know, THX was really the intersection of all of George's interests. You know, there was mythology, anthropology. There's cars. And, and cars. Speed. George <laughs> loves cars. I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I mean, he grew up in Modesto. He got, you know, he got in that tragic car crash when he was 18 years old and that kind of stalled everything for him. And I think kind of is a a large reason of like what we see in this film in terms of this idea of like, you know, not escape, trying to escape the shackles that are kind of keeping you down or, you know, maybe that feeling for George of living in a small town and never feeling like he could escape, you know, because of what happened. So I think there's a lot of like pent up feelings for George and pent up emotion and trauma that he's dealing with when making this film and that's Mm. kind of what comes through in the story Mm -hmm. but thx if it weren't for that we wouldn't have star wars you know period end of story and for that i'm grateful because uh we are lucky to have it if you feel you are not properly sedated call 348-844 immediately Failure to do so may result in prosecution for criminal drug evasion. For more enjoyment and greater efficiency, consumption is being standardized. We are sorry. This is City Probe Scanner. We've run across some illegal sexual activity. It should be on your... I really want to talk about the idea of freedom because I think that is the core of the film. And when we were watching one of the, the making of documentaries george had said quote it's about being trapped in a cage with the door unlocked but being unwilling or afraid to open the door and go out end quote and thx represents that person that decides to to get up and go out and it's it's a hard process there's a lot of very uncomfortable scenes and a lot of punishments that 
1138 faces. You know, we see that scene where he is sort of being almost controlled. There's like these operators in some sort of back area watching him on a television and they're changing certain settings. And THX is like violently writhing on the floor and all these different, very uncomfortable, stretched out positions and like the fetal position. And these police officers are almost probing him with these uh, shock sticks, it looks like. So it's almost they're they're sort of trying to condition him back to being desensitized and to the point where he almost loses any sort of hope. And it's it's very uh, it's very uncomfortable how throughout the film, the police officers always keep repeating. We're here to help you. Are you here to help us or are you trying to kind of bring us back into the fold, into the society where we don't question and we just keep on doing our daily lives and our daily jobs? And, you know, there's these explosions happening with some of the workers and it's just almost like, you know, life as normal. Let's just keep producing and let's keep yes, doing our thing. You know, uh-huh. somebody somebody just died. It's fine. You know, we're just going to keep going on with our day. That accident over in Red Sector L destroyed another 63 personnel, giving them a total of 242 lost to our 195. Keep up the good work and prevent accidents. This shift is concluded. And I think really desensitize is the best word for it. And mm. it's not until, you know, La decides, you know, L-U-H, La, La decides to not give the pill to THX and THX starts to feel and he starts to want a different sort of life with La and he wants to escape with her. But he doesn't end up, you know, necessarily getting that freedom with her, but he ends up getting freedom for himself. And we see this, you know, very intense car chase at the end, which is very intense. Yeah. You know, there's this there's the part where the car shuts down and he can't turn it back on. And it's like very, you know, it's out of fuel or power or something. But I think, you know, it's. uh, It's interesting. It's it's just this sort of. It's a very off-putting movie that asks the question of like, you know, what does it mean to be free and like what what sacrifices have to be made and like what's the journey towards freedom? I it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around sometimes. Yeah, and let's talk about freedom with the within the context of the chrome-faced officers. They are preaching this message of we're not here to hurt you. Do not worry, we are here to help you come down from the ladder we just want to make sure you're okay all those sorts of phrases well at the same time they are relentlessly pursuing him they are beating him with sticks that seem to provide perhaps some sort of electroshock he writhes in pain every time he gets touched with one and they are you know uh mercilessly controlling of the environment in the society, and there's 37,000 officers in service in the society, and that that's not yeah. an insignificant number. I mean, we don't know how large the society is, but like that's not an insignificant number. And I think the questions to ask are like, are those officers people at all? Are they are they like THS and LUH and everybody else? Um, are they completely machine? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. And it's really interesting to see the juxtaposition of like, we are here to help. And also here is my big stick and I'm trying to break into this room right now. And I think there's a lot of parallels uh, to that in our own world today. And you, you talk about being desensitized to trauma and desensitized to um, to death and that sort of stuff. And 
I think as somebody who's in her early 20s, and I, I would imagine that you can echo this, uh, we grew up in a world of um, mass shootings and uh, mass shootings in schools uh, and uh, trauma and tragedy on a human, like a large human scale. And we're expected to just keep, keep moving on with our day. Yeah. And the reality of that is, is quite different. You know, trauma, tragedy, those are sort of things that we shouldn't be pushing under the rug um, because they, they last with us. They build up. They cause, they, they build walls in our, in our brains and in our hearts. And, they, and we ultimately build walls in order to keep moving forward because we don't know how to process our own pain. And I think that's why the, you know, feeling suppressant drugs are so sinister within this society, because not only do they take the more desirable parts of the human experience away, such as love and attraction and um, companionship uh, in a, in a true thought. trust. Yeah. And thought in a true trusting yeah. sense of the world word among people but they also get rid of the, the the lows the sadness the pain and push it all under the rug and so when thx really gets the taste of oh this is what being a person is like or or this is what having emotions and having feelings is like and it's it's primal for him and in sort of his desire for for luh um but it's also it is desirable but that is that is bad and and anything that teaches you to, to you know suppress your emotions in that way i think is scary scary not good here so mm -hmm. yeah well when you compare this to there's another short film from lucas it's about three minutes long and you can you can find it on youtube it came out five years before this it was called freyheit i think that's how you pronounce it but it's the story about uh, a guy who was trying to escape a war and he is running basically through a forest it's very chopped up footage and eventually he sees sort of the finish line, the freedom ahead of himself. And as he makes the final run for it, he gets shot. And all these different clips start to play over that dead body and the, and the sort of officer or soldier standing over him. Um, and a couple that really stood out to me are the words, without freedom, there is no reason to live. For what is life if you are not free? And it talks about how, you know, man can't exist properly. It's in his nature to be free. And um, man's death is inherently caused by hampered freedom. So when you kind of compare these two stories, you know, like one is a story of a guy who tried to find freedom and was clear clearly failed in that. Uh, it's a story of tragedy, whereas this other one is a story mm -hmm. of a man who sought freedom finally and was able to achieve it. Uh, it's it's just interesting how that kind of through line happens. And then you look at Star Wars, right? Of Luke Skywalker, kind of almost stuck on Tatooine. There's a sort of uh, there's these sort of shackles that he has on his own life and he yearns for that sense of freedom. He looks to the binary sunset and wants to escape, but he hasn't really found that calling just yet. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting too, going from THX which is underground to then seeing the sun as freedom. And now Luke Skywalker sees the sun as not freedom. He sees it as the same. He sees it as the small town. He can't well escape much like Lucas saw Modesto, you know, wanting to get out and wanting to leave. I will interpret that scene a little bit differently in Star Wars in saying that the time spent gazing out at the, the binary suns 
is not him feeling stuck, but I think it is him hoping and believing that there's more. Mm -hmm. Because the music in that moment is so sweeping and bold and and beautiful and you're just like wow he's he's taking this moment to gaze and look and look outward he's physically looking out away from where he lives yeah and, yeah and we talk about in in tlj which i know is not lucas's film but in, and is also very present to today and not you know when star wars um 77 was made but uh isn't it yoda who says uh always looking out uh into the sunset or something like that um mm -hmm. and always looking to the horizon yeah yes yes never uh, never your mind on what's in front of you and he bonks him on the head yeah but, uh <laughs> but that idea well i think that actually relates really i mean great line great scene i will cry if i continue to talk about it i think that idea translates back to thx and the through line all the way to star wars from that earliest film that you were talking about fry height in the fact that it is freedom not only for one's self but freedom from oppression, freedom from the station that they are in, freedom from the situation that not only they are in, but that our others are in. Mm -hmm. In Freiheit, we really only, it's only three minutes long, we really only get our main character who's running, who's quite literally running away, his perspective. In THX, we're getting THX's perspective um, and the other characters that kind of go along on for him on this journey he's not the only one that wants to do something different necessarily you know we have the two people that he goes with well there's also sen yeah the one of those is yep. played by donald pleasance who we see his character at the very end talking to the children who are almost being injected with something like a economics lessons or something did you notice that the vials that they had that like kind of going into the wrists said economics on it and he was like oh, yeah I when i was your age when I was your age, my tank used to be this big and they would plug it right in. Oh, so okay. he he's kind of living a life where he's he's seeing what the children are going through and then kind of wishing almost wishing him his own freedom until the cops come grab him and take yeah. him away. And he almost just goes willingly because he knows there is no escape. There is that no freedom to be had. That immediately struck me as like uh, hormone suppressants. <laughs> um, yeah. It, um, and maybe that's what it is. Economics. Uh, I don't know. Uh, very interesting to, to think about in that context, though. But clearly THX is not only fighting for himself but fighting against this oppressive system and fighting to be away and free of it and in the same thing we see that in Star Wars ultimately Luke is called to be this hero and to be the savior for the galaxy from the empire so not only is he saving himself and his family and the ones that he loves, which was THX's goal, which ultimately he wasn't able to bring LUH along because she was already uh, reincarnated, absorbed into a baby fetus again. Um, <laughs> it's weird. What is this film? It's weird. <laughs> it's um, really weird. You know, but not only is Luke fighting for himself, his own station, and his family of that of his sister and his father, uh, but for the whole galaxy. And maybe THX's, it's, it's like the stakes get higher every time in these films over, yeah. the, over the, the process. And it's like, maybe, I don't know, I'm, now I'm speculating onto George's point of view, but maybe George was able to imagine greater with these, with these projects as they went on and he was able to achieve more and, and, and be able to make a new one. You know what I'm saying? 
Mm-hmm. We'll have to well, see. I think... all, we'll have to see how American graffiti fits into the picture. <laughs> yeah, and it just kind of speaks to George's fascination with with how empires can crush humanity, and it's it's what we see in the original trilogy. You know, the empire as it is, and then how it becomes the empire in the in the prequels. But I also want to talk another key theme of this film that he Walter uh, Murch actually talked about, which is this sort of unbridled consumer culture that's lost any. Mm-hmm connection to the organic world and is really self-contained and i think we sort of see that when thx is in that sort of confessional box talking to this this entity and it's also where sen ends up towards the end of the film when he sees the actual full portrait of that of that um image that you see in the confessional this sort of bishop or this person that you're supposed to confess to and let them know how you're feeling and they're just that they're sort of this presence is sort of there to, to affirm you that, you know, don't worry, you're all right. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't, you know, don't feel anything other than whatever. It's kind of telling them how to how to think and how to feel. And it's almost uh, jarring to see, you know, when SEN gets there and sees it with the camera. It's there to make people feel a certain way so they can continue with their unquestioning loyalty, basically, to this the society. But when THX is going in there and he's and he starts to feel the symptoms coming on from not taking his pills, the the thing assures him, you know, you are a true believer, blessings of the state, blessings of the masses, uh, you know, for the masses, buy more, buy more now and be happy. And it's like kind of just not even taking into consideration how he's truly feeling, but it's just sort of this culture of like continue consuming, continue producing, don't question anything. You are divine and you know, this is your purpose, basically. And I just thought that was interesting how there's just that lack of organic connection to this being. It's just an electrical uh, image of something that's being filmed somewhere else in this compound, this society. And George talked about how, you know, um, you know, everything in this movie is via intercom, basically. And it's, it's uh-huh. really when you get that organic feeling, even between like THX and LUH, when they're very intimate and everybody's still watching them. You know, it's, it's just uh, it's, it's kind of that slight alteration of that, of that society back then. You know, they didn't have the sort of in the 70s, you know, cell phones and like FaceTime. But like George Lucas is almost very forward thinking with these sorts of concepts of this, mm. even how today we've lost touch with people because everything is through virtual sites, through social media, through phone calls and texting. It's like we've, we've even lost that current day in some capacity. Sure. I, I want to hop back, um, hop back to the deity who's telling you to consume more, to more who is there to be used as a confessional that image is actually i'm on the i'm on wikipedia right now um truth telling place but it is hans memling's christ giving his blessing painted in 1478 this image is literally an image of a, a of a representation of jesus oh, which is did not know that yeah it adds a layer of complexity to this deity that they go to confessional for. It is Jesus, in this case, OMM0000, who is saying, consume, consume, consume. But the image is of Christ. And that's eerie and perhaps has something to say, I, I don't know for sure, but perhaps has something to say about um, Christianity or how we are so fixed into our consumerist culture that that we idolize 
money as God or that we idolize things as peak living. Or um, production or pro- productivity, you know, how much can we churn out? Oh, yeah. Perfect, perfect product. Perfect performance is perfect performance uh, is another saying from this this one when he's when he's sending the anonymous report on uh, SEN. It's the line, perfect performance is perfect performance and nothing, nothing less will be tolerated. And so it's really interesting that, you know, we clearly live not only in a consumerist culture today, but it's only elevated since the 70s in the sense that we live in a 24 hour news cycle. We live in a really wicked celebrity culture, uh, you know, where celebrities, every moves are followed. So these things have only progressed in our present world. Uh, And it's really interesting to see how those influences are still with us today in even more severe terms. I'm taking Etrosine, but it doesn't seem strong enough. I have a hard time concentrating. You are a true believer. Blessings of the state. Please forgive me. Blessings of the masses. Let us be thankful we have an occupation to fill. Work hard. Increase production. Prevent accidents. And be happy. Work hard, increase production, prevent accidents, and be happy. That's that's what it tells THX. And you know what? Talking about this actually... I, I, I want to know, what do you think, to what extent some of these ideas carry over to the prequel trilogy is the is the jedi order another another society that is telling its its constituents how to think and how to feel and suppressing the very things the connections to organic matter to people that make them human and make them people you know like you know suppress those emotions you are here to be peace and justice in the galaxy and that's it that's your purpose and it's when the people start you know, I'm just saying, you know, maybe the lost 20, maybe THX 1138 would, would have been a lost 20 member. <laughs> oh, my God. Brad, you that was you such a sexy that? connection. That was that was really good. Um, <laughs> no, what do you think on that, though? I mean, do you think there is obviously we don't know the mind of George and we don't know if this is exactly, you know, I'm not saying, you know, THX is what inspired the, the, the prequels and the Jedi Order, but I think it's the continuity of george's view of the world and like you know what's good and what's bad and clearly he thinks that you know there is a flaw in the jedi order and that you have they're telling you know you one thing which is suppress emotion and you know don't feel anything because it 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 leads you to greed and it leads you to uh selfishness desire so yeah so is thx being selfish is he having too much desire or is he actually in i mean he's clearly in the right it's just interesting. I don't know how to make the connection between the two That's, based I on mean, George's thought process. Well, I mean, obviously, we are not George Lucas. We do not know the brain of George Lucas. If only we did. I would be fascinated to be a little fly on, on the, the brain, brain stuff's wall. That wasn't a good connection, but I attempted it. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, I think that connection is actually fairly interesting and quite apt because if you think about the original trilogy, Luke is trying to overcome the Empire. 
and we had to somehow get to an empire. And the prequels are about the fall of the Republic and how you get from A to Z, Z being very bad. And we see it not only through the Jedi Order, who is suppressing emotion. This your, your, your connection also is really interesting in the time of the High Republic, when we're seeing a different sort of Jedi Order. And we're getting hints between Avar and Elzar, <laughs> my faves, and <laughs> other sort of characters that have connections with one another in the Order at that point. And also the idea of the Wayseeker and having agency within your own life as a Jedi, that sort of stuff is also really interesting when you bring that up. But once we get to the prequels, it's very clear that there's something has gone wrong and that something is off kilter and that the Jedi Order and the Republic are too intermingled to be able to separate themselves and have an identity separate from one another. And I think that leads them down a dark path because they've adopted the ideas of the other in certain ways, and they are ought they ought to be two separate entities. Uh, and that clearly, you know, the, the Jedi don't desire connection or, or don't allow connection, they don't allow attachments. You know, they are now involved in a war, so now they're fighting on behalf of somebody else. There's a lot of layers with that that I think can go back to this and talk about. Talk about go back to THX and talk about agency and talk about individuality because the order at that time doesn't allow that, and the Republic at that point is increasingly suppressing that as well. In the prequels, you're talking, not the Republic, yeah. And we're also talking about a time in which everybody's living through a war, which is a whole other element to this as well. And you have to, if you're going to tell a prequel story to the Star Wars original trilogy you have to get to a point to where you're talking about the downfall and i think in thx and in the original trilogy we are seeing where they're already at so of course the prequels are going to be a valid connection in that sense to how do you get there and i think it's really interesting that you brought up that connection because right at the beginning of the documentary that we watched on youtube uh george says that it's not this film isn't a story about the future but it's a parable about how we were living in 1970 he certainly believes that perhaps the government the people around him the world has made choices to lead them to a poorer spot to lead them to a less like a lower quality of life and and that i mean that kind of goes into another another tangential topic that I can hit but um but really it is a story about the choices that were made that led us to this point and in the other films we're just seeing the point already prequels were getting mm-hmm. the choices right it is really interesting to draw the the parallel between the two and yeah I mean we do we do see like what the the Jedi sort of hubris leads to is the it's the empire right and I think the Empire very closely resembles this authority in, in the THX world. You know, it's it's buy more now and be happy, whereas the Empire is just a different version of that. You know, long live the Empire and the, the propaganda showing Palpatine as this sort of almost Jesus-like figure as well. You know, somebody that has unbridled power and you need to have unquestioning loyalty to this person 
um, or else it is treasonous, or else, you know, you, you basically, as a citizen of the galaxy, you can't think otherwise. And the mm-hmm. idea of when, you know, LUH and THX are making love, LUH is saying, you know, they're watching us right now. And he says, no, they're not. Don't worry about it. They're not watching us. And, you know, there's that, there's that feeling that they are being watched. And they are. Likewise, in Star Wars, you don't know when and where the Empire is watching you. You know, keep your voice down. You don't know what the Empire could hear. So there's this idea that they have an, like an, an omni presence amongst the entire um, among the entire galaxy and they're and they're watching everything very closely and it goes back again to this very just orwellian future and you know how star wars isn't about a future it's about a galaxy far far away a long time a long time ago star wars is about a long time ago in a galaxy far far away so whereas thx is described as uh this artifact that washes up on the shore from the future Star Wars is like its own artifact that washes up from the past. So, you know, both stories that George is being is telling us are coming from two different directions, but they're telling generally the same thing. And it's almost a, it's both a warning sign and a history of like, you know, how democracies fall, how how freedom is taken away, that sort of thing. It's interesting. You're coming at it from two different directions. It's kind of like Planet of the Apes at the end of Planet of the Apes when they're spoilers on the for planet of the apes <laughs> planet of the apes um the 70s <laughs> when they're on the when they're on the beach and he comes across the statue of liberty right and um when you realize that they're not on some completely other planet we're not in some completely other timeline we are in a future of earth and this is what it's become and this is the society that they live in and it's you know choices that people made along the way that got them to where they were i just wanted to bring up the connection because i was like oh it's yeah. a good and i just recently read a book that kind of has the same idea where it's like oh you wait you thought we were in some other society on some other planet right now psych <laughs> <laughs> and I, I find that to be a really enjoyable thing in general well walter says it's quote a film from the future rather than about the future and i think that really is the the essence of oh yeah of thx right mm-hmm. and you know you talk about planet of the apes it's it's a film from the future rather than about the future it's something that's already in the process of something that's happening something that's almost feels inevitable in a way so you know from george's perspective in the 1970s you know this this future of thx to maybe to him maybe to him it feels inevitable maybe it feels like at that time with the Vietnam War on the on the precipice of our society and with the civil rights movement that had just happened and just a lot of corruption in politics, like this is the future that he sees. Likewise with Star Wars, the uh, democracy being handed over to people and it's not taken away, it's given away, right? That's the future that he is worried about. You know, I Star think- Wars is a film about the past and the future. Uh, he, he thinks in these very weird timelines. He's all over the place in his mind, I think. <laughs> I think that that quote that you brought up, it's from the future, but not about the future, is the key truly to good science fiction. Good science fiction not only gives us a vision of the future, but really tells us something about today and tells us something about who we are. And that's partly why I love the genre so much. and 
why I right now love Star Trek Discovery so much. It's so good. And oh, yeah. I know Star Wars crosses the line to be more of a space opera, to be more of a fantasy, sci-fi fantasy crossover. But science fiction is truly at its best. And I think THX hits on a lot of that is when it's reflecting back to us, our world today. And I think that's George. George, as mm-hmm. a filmmaker, he he made THX feel like something that was new but felt used. Star Wars feels new but has a used universe feeling to it. It feels familiar to us. It is very alien. It is very different. But also, it is very just built in. It's very... It's built upon the mythology of our own worlds and our own myth and also looks like our world so i think him as a science fiction filmmaker that's why star wars works that's why this this film even though it is a little off-putting a little weird a little experimental i think it has a lot to say and i think you again you see the continuity of george's ideas throughout his different projects and i'd be interested you know coming off of this and eventually watching american graffiti which i've seen Mm -hmm. once before but now maybe watching it through a new lens could be interesting i think we will see that carried through in george's work just this you know what is freedom and um uh, how do you achieve it and uh it's it's interesting it's hard to wrap my head around again i keep saying that but uh, it's hard to get into george's mind and again i'm not a george expert i am just trying to take the the story and at face value and unravel it and get to the root of what's being told and what's trying to be told. And also connecting that to future stories because Star Wars is now our current mythology. It's, it's, it's yeah. built into our culture. Um, it's, it's very, very important to pop culture and media at this point. Yeah. And I think this is a film that I really have interest in revisiting and learning more about the film, film people, you know, film historians or critics who have written on this film i would love to hear what they have to say and to revisit it with that lens because there's probably a lot that i'm still missing or just wasn't uh, attuned to um and this is a one that um after this discussion i will be looking forward to revisiting and re-looking at and imagining yeah well hopefully most of what we said made sense if you thought this was a lot of stuff that made absolutely no sense you might not be totally wrong because uh, well we we're tried tr- we we're tried trying <laughs> and we tried to figure out the film but also hopefully we made some kind of cool connections i made some connections i hadn't even thought of going into this episode about again the idea of authority and you know the prequel trilogy and the jedi mm-hmm. and suppressing emotion and those sorts of things that are clear in this film clear as day but i think that's part of film analysis is sometimes you have to go back and watch these films over and over to get an idea of really what the story is telling you and understand the themes and read literature like you said and read maybe something from a film scholar and what they might think of this film and um, hearing just more from George and his intentions I think is very helpful you know watching old interviews and watching documentaries I love that kind of stuff and I think it was very helpful to our, our discussion as well. But I mm-hmm. enjoyed watching this film. I would definitely recommend it to anybody if you're thinking about, you know, if you like George Lucas a lot and you want to see some of his older stuff, this is definitely something you should put on your list. Because again, it is a little out there. It's a little edgy. It's very stylized. 
but that's okay because sometimes you need something a little different and uh even though it is so different it's fundamentally telling you something that is um you know very core to us as human beings is is we need connection and we need freedom and we Mm -hmm. need um you know that kind of free will that um so oftentimes people can have stripped away from them and uh, what does a society look like when that's taken away yeah it's a little bit of a warning and it's a little bit of making sure that you know we don't give power and authority into the wrong hands and that's you know just kind of keep that in mind you know so yeah and we see that with star wars what happens yep, when you yep, give yep. unlimited you give unlimited power to unlimited chancellor palpatine power. look what happened you know it's like who do we give that power to and uh we no should one. we should ask ourselves yeah no one we keep it <laughs> <laughs> power to the people sh- you know yeah yeah spread it yeah. among the people yeah exactly Sarah, do you have any final thoughts on THX? I've had much of my piece to say with this film, but I'm curious as a, if you have anything else to add before we, we close out. I feel like I've said pretty much everything I want to say here. It still remains a bit of a mystery to me, but I'm glad that we got the opportunity to talk out a lot of the major points of this movie, as well as some of the, of the history of it. And hopefully we had some coherence to this conversation that <laughs> listeners will be able to, to get through and also maybe either enjoy the movie for the first time revisit it with a new lens with some youngins um who knows yeah yeah awesome well i think that's a good place to call it i'm glad we got to cover this film on the podcast i would also recommend sky talkers they did a summer series in 2018 called by george where they went through all of george's works and in part one they talked about thx um specifically so that's a really good conversation if you're looking to get some more uh, almost academia around George. And they pulled in a lot of different sources. There's a lot of good material to read. As we mentioned, the J.W. Rinsler books is just full mm-hmm. of great stuff about George's early career. Empire of Dreams is on Disney+. Plus. That's another great resource to, to read a, a, some of the stuff and watch some of the stuff. And uh, Chris Taylor's book, I think, is like the ultimate, uh, one of the ultimate uh, works to kind of go through George's uh past and 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 what went into thx and we'll talk more about george's other stuff as well we have a american graffiti episode planned uh at the beginning of summer so stay tuned for that because that's going to be something that's probably a little less weird and just a little more fun kind of a summer flick that i'm really excited about that has a lot of cars and a lot of racing and a lot of shenanigans uh featuring ron howard and harrison ford so that'll be that'll be a little (laughs) tonally different but i think that's another great film that again is very pivotal to star wars being made and also is just another way to for to have george uh have a creative outlet to express himself so Mm -hmm. very excited sarah that's it for today where can our peeps find you on the interwebs uh you can find me at sch221 on twitter and goodreads and letterboxd and at sarah's puzzle pages on instagram where i'm doing the bookstagram thingy kind of oh you can also find Sarah here pretty much most weeks. We have a lot of fun episodes coming up uh, next week on the podcast. We are covering the Gendy Tartakovsky Clone Wars micro series, which I've is never launching seen it. on Disney Plus. Uh, I have seen it, and we are going to be approaching it through uh, the eyes of both a veteran and a uh, a first comer, a first timer. So I'm very excited for Sarah to experience that. And we're going to watch it together and talk about it because it's a great 2D animation series and uh, George was involved with it. So another another George Lucas project that we're talking about next week. Uh, but George the Lucas, creator field. of Star Wars. Are we really yeah. talking about him more on this podcast? Who, who would have thunk? 
That's weird. That's suspicious. That's suspicious. Weird. That's pretty <laughs> sus, honestly. <laughs> well, as for Friends of the Force, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also consider joining our Patreon, where we have a lot of cool perks, and we are doing some fun episodes, some bonus episodes coming up, including the Revenge of the Sith novelization late in May, which we are going to be starting to work on fairly shortly here, so I'm very excited to read that. Thank you to our current patrons, Anna, Brian, Brian. I could say Brian Squared. I should just start saying Brian Squared at some point because they're two great Brians. Shout out to Brian's plural. Shout Thank out to you Brian's. So <laughs> Cheryl, Deborah, Donnie, Elegy, Jesse, Knights of Ren, Levi, Lindsay, Marie Claire, Neil, Rachel, Sarah, Skytalkers, and T. So thank you all for being patrons. If you want to support the show as well, please consider leaving a five star rating and written review. We've gotten some nice ones that we're going to post to our Twitter here shortly. So thank you to everybody who goes over there and gives us a rating on the show because it helps other people find the show and join the discussion. <laughs> lots of work, lots of hard work we put into this, but we love doing it and we hope you all love listening to it. And then we make somewhat coherent sense here on the show after two hours. So that being said, thank yeah. you all for listening. We appreciate your time on this week for Friends of the Force. And until next time, May the force be with you always. Bye.